Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, if he was a legendary god card from Kaldheim, his flip side would be a pair of dumbbells. That's Matt Morgan. I can't stop thinking about Bruce Willis movies lately. I guess you might say that old habits die hard. <laughs> and so, some of these habits you might even say are unbreakable. Oh no, we gotta, we gotta. That's one of the best intro jokes you've ever told. Oh man, that got me. Uh, up next, he just wants to foretell a bunch of spells so that in a game he can just shout, "You activated my trap card." That's Dana Roach. Um, this show will actually be airing on my birthday, so um, shows usually go live around noon, and I figure if I start blowing out birthday candles around 10, I'll probably have them all out right about now. <laughs> <laughs> or close to it, at least. It's a lot of candles. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a fire hazard. That's a lot. I love that, Dana. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Dana, what is it that we're talking about this week? We're talking about legend density. That we are. There's been, um, I, I want to get the number right. Something like 11,000 billion new legendary creatures printed in the past couple of years. I believe it's 13, Joey. That's the actual official number. <laughs> yeah, something to the 200th power. There's been a lot of legendary creatures printed in recent sets, and that's really cool for command zones. But we also want to see if maybe that might have a subtle effect on the ways that it shapes the 99s as well. Not just the command zones, but also deck construction with regards to all those new legendary creatures. So it should be a whole bunch of fun. But before we get to the topic, we want to give a pause and a huge thank you to Josh Lee Kwai and the whole team at the Command Zone podcast who handle all of the post-production work on our podcast here, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, a huge thank you to to our sponsors for the show. Yeah, too. the EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Any legendary card we discuss on this show will be available at Card Kingdom and with one of the most competitive buy lists online that let you swap out any legends you aren't playing for short of credit or cash to buy ones that you do want to start playing. And any cards we discuss on our Challenge the Stats segment are going to be available on TCG Player as well. Just go to EDH Rec, click on the card in question, and choose the vendor link down below the image. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do that over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. Say you want to check out the Challenge of Stats spreadsheet that we have. We keep track of all of them we've done over the past several years. We have that available for patrons over at patreon.com slash EDHRecCast. And one specific tier that we do have as well is where we give a shout out to a certain patron every week. And so this week, we want to give a very special shout out to Gabriel Pazos. Thank you so much. Gabriel for being a patron. We definitely appreciate the support and uh, you are obviously pretty great for being a patron of ours. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you all so, so much for the support. Thank you, Gabriel. All right, fellas, let's get to our topic here. We're talking about, Dana, as you put it here, legendary density, or in my mind, another 
word that I've been using is maybe legendary escalation, potentially. There have been a lot of legendary creatures hitting every set. Like if we were to take a look at how many legendary cards exist in set over set over set, like over the years, it's probably gone from, uh, you know, the odd five or six legends to like, holy crap, there's 30 legendary cards in this set. Kaldheim is coming out with over 30 legendary creatures in it. All of those gods, like that's insane. In fact, with the Golgari elves from that set, the Boros equipment sub-theme and the mythic Simic serpents, it seems like this is almost Commander Legends too. Yeah, there's there's a, a density that's coming out in Kaldheim that we've actually seen picking up over the past few years. It hasn't just been Kaldheim specifically, hasn't just been Commander Legends. It's been it's been a growing trend, and we wanted to kind of tackle this on this episode. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Because given the influx of new legends that we're getting, especially coming off of Commander Legends, this can have a subtle effect on deck building that we wanted to address. And Dana, this is something that I know that you in particular are a little bit familiar with because you first noticed it kind of emerging almost catching you off guard in your deck construction. Yeah, um, it really kind of jumped out at me with a card um, that was was previewed in Kaldheim, um, Reflections of Litjara. And it's a, it's a card, um, it's an enchantment for, for four and a blue, and it reads, uh, when it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type, and whenever you cast a spell of the chosen type, copy that spell. And the copy of a permanent spell becomes a token. So that got spoiled, and I was looking at my Sphinx deck, which is in the same color. All the cards are Sphinxes. That seems like a really good thing. Sphinxes cost like 17 mana on on average to cast. So I figured <laughs> getting a free copy of these giant Sphinxes that are expensive seemed like a good deal. But then I looked closer at my deck and realized one, literally one-third of these Sphinxes in my Sphinx deck are legends. So the copies that get made just immediately die. So I go from like 18 sphinxes that technically would get copied to 12. And at that point, you're like, that's one tenth of my deck. That card suddenly got way less attractive when I realized how few cards that would actually be effective copying. And then I started thinking from there, well, man, there's been a lot of really good legendary creatures, not just for the command zone, but just show up in decks recently. Yeah, this this is something that we we've kind of brought up in, you know, in jest. We talk about how there's so many mono blue artifact matters commanders that you can make a deck out of just those creatures. <laughs> um, and then you don't have any room for any of the artifacts. But this is actually a, a very real thing that we've kind of noticed that there's just there's so many legends out there you can fill any given deck with a bunch of legendary creatures. I know Captain Sisse decks years ago, you were playing some pretty bad, you know, legendary creatures scraping the bottom of the barrel, as it were, to in order just in order to fill out the deck. That is not the case these days. <laughs> no, not at all. Captain Sisse, the old one, the green white one, who could just do mm-hmm. up a legendary, get some cards in your hand, uh, like you know. In the past, it might have been like, oh, it's legendary, we'll play it. Autumn Willow, maybe that's in that deck. But now, you've got so much to pick from. Like, there are so many new legends coming out that inevitably one of them is going to be good enough to go into the 99, if not, you know, in command zones too. And that will definitely affect the tune upedness of Captain Sisse decks, as an example. And that also isn't just for, you know, legendary matters commanders, but also for plenty of others too. Let's kind of get our bearings though. Let's actually take a look at just the commanders that 
that are playing the greatest number of legends to maybe see what we're working with a little bit. Dana, take us through it, because I know that some of these commanders are a little bit uh, near and dear to you in particular. Uh, number one on the list definitely is, and that would be uh, Reki, the history of Kamigawa, the commander from way back in the Kamigawa block who um, draws you a card every time you cast a legendary spell. Um, so there are 52 different legendary cards in Reki decks. That is number one, a tied with our number two here, Kethis the Hidden Hand, who lets you also manipulate legendary creatures from your graveyard in particular. And there's 52 as well in Kethis the Hidden Hand decks. Dang. Number three, we've got Sisse, not Captain Sisse, Sisse, Weatherlight Captain. She's running 42 legendary cards, but actually Sisse is tied with Sisse there because Captain Sisse, the Zelesnia version, is also running 42 legendary cards on average. So we've got a tie for number one and the tie for third and fourth place here. Rounding it out with number five is Arvat the Cursed running 41 legendary cards. I feel like these commanders were back in the day. They wouldn't have these same numbers. That's not data support necessarily, just anecdotal, but there just weren't as many legendary cards back then that were good enough to run compared to, you know, this past couple of years where it's been like 30 legendary creatures every set. Inevitably, there's just so many good numbers. These commanders aren't just choosing from some legendary stuff. They're choosing from some of the best ones. There's some that they're no longer able to run even because all of these legendary creatures have maybe pushed out some other good legendary creatures. Yeah, that's definitely true of my Reki history of Kamigawa deck. Um, I put it together in 2015, so it's, you know, five-ish years old now. And when I built it, I was running some pretty bad creatures. Not Autumn Willow level bad necessarily, um, but <laughs> some ones that were maybe a step above that just so I could hit the threshold I wanted of the amount of legendary creatures I needed to consistently be able to draw cards. And th the days of me running things like Arashi the Sky Asunder just to hit that threshold are, are, are we're well past that point. There's a bunch of really good creatures in the deck now, and it, the, the choice, the, the decisions become very difficult about what to cut. And that was not the case in like 2016. Yeah, if you're playing like an Arvad the Curse deck, for example, you don't have to be digging and finding some random legendary creature that has nothing to do with the rest of the deck, like Commander Isha, for example. You don't have to play cards like that anymore. If you built an Arvad deck, say, 20 years ago, the average deck would look very, very different versus now, where you can just play generically good legendary creatures to round out the deck. Dana, you mentioned you, you can play serviceable creatures like Rishkar, for example, that, you know, they're not outstanding. They don't tie into the theme, but they're just perfectly fine cards to be playing in the 99. Well, Rishkar is a great example. I was thrilled to get Rishkar in, in, in Kaladesh block for that deck because it was a pretty solid upgrade. Rishkar isn't in the deck anymore. Like at the time, <laughs> that was a nice addition and Rishkar has since been cut. Yeah, Dana, that's really crazy. Here's a fun fact, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, because we've been talking a lot about the commanders that have the most legends in their deck. Um, I don't know that anyone would have guessed this commander that I found that has the least number of legends in its deck. Like, I almost want to make you guys guess, but you can see the show notes, so maybe you shouldn't guess. But like the commander that runs the fewest <laughs> legendary cards in the deck is actually Teshar, Ancestor's Apostle, the mono white bird that cares about historic cards, which, you know, are that includes stuff like sagas and artifacts and legendary cards as well. But Teshar only contains an average of two legendary cards. 
in the typical Tishar deck. Like, I just thought that was really funny, because even though it's a historic deck, really the artifact synergy is way more dominating there. Yeah, I definitely would not have guessed that at all. Yeah, I mean, even just thinking about legendary creatures that just make good utility for Tishar, um, I could have... I could have added more than just two um, to go in the deck. Yeah. Um, so, so all the the commanders we just talked about above are ones that do logically make sense with having a bunch of legends in the deck. But it's not just the ones that are obvious, like Reki or Captain Sisse. A lot of other commanders have a really um, deep density in terms of how many different legends they run as well. Yeah. That's really the point we want to get to, because we've we've talked a lot about those commanders that have a whole bunch of legends, but it's not just them, though. Like, let's take an example of the Ur-Dragon, just, you know, Dragon Tribal, for instance, whole bunch of dragons flying around. I wouldn't have necessarily expected this personally, but the average Ur-Dragon deck contains 22 legendary cards. You got your stuff like your Atarkas, you've got your Dramokas, plural, you've got your Mora Fawns. It turns out that there's actually a lot of incidentally legendary dragons that an Ur-Dragon deck is going to make huge use of. Yeah, I, I can't think of the last time that I played against an Ur-Dragon deck that wasn't playing at least a healthy number of the Elder Dragons, which of course are legendary, but then just dragons that are just very powerful that happen to be legendary. Like you can play a quarter of those 22 can be Niv-Mizzets alone. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, and maybe even that, like you mentioned, there's the Elder Dragons there. So maybe that's just an aberration in the data, right? Potentially because of the Elder Dragons, that's just a creature in magic type that might just happen to have more legends on average. Well, it turns out, no, it's actually kind of all over the place. I'll use Perforos, the God of the Forge, as another example. Mono red, super born deck. The average Perforos deck runs an average of 15 legends. In a typical Perforos deck, you got your stuff like your Torbrin, Lane of Redfell, who came out recently and does a bunch of extra damage. You got your Atalis, which give you cards off the top of other people's decks. Legends are showing up even just in a simple mono red burn deck. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's just so many of these good creatures um that they make to be attractive commanders and that just also makes them attractive additions to decks in the 99 <laughs> yeah that 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 you hit the nail on the head right there dana like eventually when you make cards powerful enough to be in the command zone you want to build a deck around it eventually those cards are just going to be good enough to sneak their way into decks themselves like joe you mentioned atali primal storm like that card itself is amazing for just any given red deck, let alone like if you're playing Elder, Dinosaur, Tribal, whatever. Um, but even when you think about some other commanders like Naeth of the Dire Hunt, the, the Fight Club commander um, from Jumpstart, they're playing 15 legends in that deck. And you're looking at some big beaters like Galta and, and Gargos, some just very large creatures that are ahead of the curve. They're just going to have so much value and so much power stapled onto just an incidentally legendary creature. And you just have to put in the deck because they're just so objectively powerful. Or Matt, here's another example. You know how Zendikar Rising gave us like a whole bunch of new landfall commander decks? Well, they all kind of go in each other's decks generally too. Like Omnath. <laughs> 
Path Locus of Creation, the four color landfall deck, runs an average of 12 legends in that deck because you got your other Omnaths, for example. You've also got your Aceovas, which might as well be the same card. Whole bunch of Simic drawing landfall <laughs> stuff there. You've got your Mina and Dens showing up, your Azusas showing up. There's a lot of legendary cards that would go into a landfall deck that could have been their own landfall commander instead. So, I mean, all those commanders, you might as well run them in this deck. You, there's no reason not to. So by signing up for a land-based strategy, you're also just including so many legendary creatures in your deck just almost by accident. Yeah, that's definitely something you see with with those strategies that are very, very popular that they keep printing commanders for. <laughs> the Landfall one, definitely. I think you see it in token decks sometimes too. Um, I've started seeing it a little bit with like Enchantress kind of builds as they've built more commanders that care about enchantments. Mm. You're getting a good amount of overlap there as well tribal decks especially you see a lot of it so um it's a trend and i don't see that trend changing anytime in the near future nor do i because in fact if we look at the um the dates of some of this data we see that this is um the word that came to my mind is incriminating it's not incriminating it's revealing because what i guess i'd call this is legend recency dana your recce deck as an example runs an average of we saw the typical run runs an average of 52 legendary cards 12 of those cards on average were printed in the year 2020 yeah um, i looked at my deck to to check and of the legendary cards in my recce deck four of them just four of them were printed prior to 2015 and only one of them uh, was printed back with the original frame from <laughs> the early part of the game, and that's Kamal Fistacrosa from back in Onslaught. Everything else in that deck was printed after 2015, and there's double-digit cards printed in 2020 in that deck. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, oh, here's a couple of other examples. Kethis, the Hidden Hand, the other Obzon uh, Legendary Matters commander, runs an average of 52 legendary cards in a typical Kethis deck. 11 of those were printed in 2018. 10 came from 2019. Like, holy, that's a lot of recency. There's that new Abomination of Llanowar, the elf tribal elf ball that came from Commander Legends. That deck so far with the data we've thus accumulated contains about 11 legends in it. Five of them come from 2020. And I want to reiterate, there are still elf legends coming up in call time. Like, that number is only going to get bigger. This is a, a very increasing trend. Like you said, it is not diminishing anytime soon. Well, like you said, Joey, that it, it's going to get bigger. So here's a fun stat. So just standard legal sets that have come out, so dating back to, to Eldraine, there are 139 legendary cards in standard, not counting call time, which is adding another 30 plus. So like the fact that they're printing so many legendary creatures in these recent standard sets alone is is kind of telling that's not even counting commander legends that's not counting like we said jumpstart that's only counting the regular release standard legal sets and that's how many we're getting like it's it the numbers are just skyrocketing well and it's it's easy to see if we look at a lot of our own 
personal deck lists. Mm. I mentioned my, my Sphinx deck where I went and looked. 16 of 17 creatures, excuse me, 6 of 17 creatures in that deck are legendary. Um, we talked about landfall decks having a lot of overlap. I have a Mina and Den landfall deck. 7 of 21 creatures in that deck are legendary. Again, a third of them. And my Gliss of the Trader deck that's a Death Touch uh, tribal deck. If I count the couple cards I'm adding from Kaldheim, I'm at 8 of 22 being legendary in that deck. Dang, yeah. The numbers actually totally work out for me, too. I went through my Thalese deck a little bit earlier. There are 8 legendary creatures that I'm running in my Thalese Reverend Medium deck. I only play 15 creatures in that deck, but 8 of them are legendary. Because we got when you got a bunch of Spearm tokens, I mean, Elish Norn is really good with all of those Spirit tokens. Why wouldn't I play it after all? It just keeps on getting more and more and more. Well, I mean, I, I'll do you one better, maybe not by pure numbers, but by ratio. Uh, my Real, the Everwise deck, only plays six creatures. Four of them are legendary, though, and the ones that aren't legendary just happen to be Hole Breacher and Psychosis Crawler, which are both, like, pretty heavy hitters. So, like, that just kind of tells you where the bar is currently for non-legendary creatures to sneak into a lot of different decks. Oh, man, you're playing Hole Breacher in that deck? Remind me to watch out. I'm not as afraid of the legendary creatures. I, I, I know I haven't played it on twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast recently, so I kind of gave away a little bit of a secret. But, I mean, I have to slip in something powerful in that deck because the rest is just kind of spinning wheels half the time anyway. So. That was a very clever pun, first of all. But also, I just want to remark that I guess this is maybe a way that the number of legends would go down, is that if Wizards keeps on printing more hole breachers, potentially. And I, I don't think that is the correct answer <laughs> Exactly. At all. I don't want that to continue happening. Anyway, this was sort of a big getting of our bearings. Here's where the legend numbers are and the fact that it has been in a really big upswing in recent years when it comes to card design because legendary creatures are becoming more and more present in our commander decks. But what we want to do in the second half of the show is discuss how that might affect the way that we are building decks now that we've seen that this is definitely a trend that is continuing and as Matt, you said, is sort of skyrocketing. So that'll be a fun part for section two. But you know what? Before then, we want to take a brief pause before we get there. And what we're going to do is challenge some stats. There's a whole bunch of info on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play. Sometimes they see too little play. So this is one of our favorite segments here on the podcast to challenge those statistics. Let's start it off. Our first challenge to stats entry this week is submitted to us by patron supporter Wheels Up in our Discord. If you'd like to submit a entry for challenge of stats, you can do that by uh, going to patreon.com slash and supporting the show. And Wheels Up submitted Livewire Lash, which is currently only in 406 decks. Uh, it's a two-mana artifact that says equipped creature gets plus two plus O and has whenever this creature becomes a target of a spell, this creature deals two damage to target creature or player, and it has an equipped cost of two. Um, Live Wire Lash, as I said, is only in 406 decks, but it's only in 5% of Feather the Redeemed decks, which is a commander that's really built around targeting uh, your commander with spells that you cast that you then return to your hand and do the same thing again the next chance you get. So there's a lot of damage potential in having a live wire lash attached to a feather the redeemed. Um, you could very easily in a trip around the board, you know, deal 10 or 12 damage to players 
or just completely take out troublesome creatures by mm. doing damage to them. So um, only in 406 decks total and 5% of other decks, and I think it could very easily be in more. So that's a real good call, Wheels Up. Thank you very much for submitting it. That's a clever one. I'll have to take a look at it. And it's kind of funny because my challenge this week is also an equipment, as it turns out. And also one that will most likely show up, or at least it should show up in more Boros decks too. This one is Tenza Godo's Maul, which I thought was a legendary creature. But no, it's actually the name of an equipment, a legendary artifact equipment that gives plus one, plus one to the equipped creature, and it equips for one. However, it doesn't stop there. You know, that doesn't sound great, but there's more text on it. As long as the equipped creature is legendary, it gets an additional plus two, plus two. So if you attach it to your commander, you're getting a plus three on there. And then also, as long as the equipped creature is red, it gets trample. This is a three mana equipment that equips for one that can attach to your most likely Boros commander and give it plus three, plus three in trample. And again, it just equips for one. That power level for that rate seems really good. Despite that, Tensegoda's Maul only shows up in about 2000 decks total. I feel like this would be a really great option for decks such as Valduk, Keeper of the Flame. Matt, definitely one of your favorites there. It's a cheap way to get some stuff onto your commander. Nice power boost and just start punch and face as we know that Boros decks really love to do. Boros has been a really big sub theme and let's be real, almost all of the recent sets these days. And this is another fun equipment that shouldn't go under your radar. Uh, Joey, don't feel bad about thinking this was a creature. I thought it was actually where Godo went shopping. So, <laughs> I mean, like if you wanted to get some sporting goods or buy a soft pretzel. So I was wrong there as well. Oh, no, Matt. Uh, take us to your challenge. I, I I need a second to recover after that mall joke there. <laughs> um, but my challenge of stats this week is for... I mean, you guys talked about Boros decks, so I'm going to go the opposite direction, and we're going to talk about Simic decks. So this week, I'm going to talk about uh, AC, Tyrant of Gyre Strait. That is the new Simic Precon commander. Um, basically, it's Super Tatiova. Um, add one more mana, you get a, a massive sea creature whenever you play a land you draw a card um, you can also play more lands every turn so very very powerful effect but what i want to challenge there is a card that i think we're seeing a little bit from the precon effect and that card is merc fiend liege so merc fiend liege is a creature that goes in the deck it's two and then three hybrid civic mana um so for five total uh, for a four four horror that says other green creatures you control get plus one plus one other blue creatures you control get plus one plus one and then you untap all your green and blue creatures uh during each other player's untap step i think that card is being played too much and it's like i said getting a little bit of the pre-con effect there currently being played in 39 percent of ac decks so the typical ac deck even after some upgrades that people are doing to the Precon still are only playing on average three multicolor creatures. So you're only getting three creatures that are eligible to get plus two plus two, which I don't think is a great ratio. We talked about how you know you, you want to be pay, playing enough cards to benefit from the effect, but also untapping every creature uh, at every player's untap step with Merc Fiend Liege. You're playing a lot of big, big creatures, a lot of six drops, a lot of seven drops, a lot of Krakens that untapping them on each player's untap isn't really doing a whole lot because even if you're getting them untapped and giving them pseudo vigilance, the effect just is not there. I think there are much better five drops you can be playing. I think a Modi Celebrant of Bounty is one that is only getting played about 20% or so of AC decks. That can definitely go up quite a bit if you're taking out the, the Merc Fiend Leech from there. So 
Merkfiend Liege, it's a great card, but I don't think AC is the deck for it. Yeah, AC being a sea monster deck at all is all also almost kind of a counter to what AC could be, which is just a purely landfall deck. So you're definitely going to get some mixed mm-hmm. representation with the decks almost fighting against each other for the players who want to be sea monster tribal versus the players who are just like, I want to be some landfall stuff. So you definitely yeah. need to be wary of the numbers that are being recommended there if there's one strategy that you prefer over the other. The, the pre-con itself was a little scattered. There were some plus one, plus one counter strategies built in. There's some sea monsters. There, It was all over the place. But once you focus it in, I think there's some obvious cuts no matter what direction you want to take AC in. Definitely. All right, let's get back to that main topic. We talked about the increasing, the ever-increasing, the almost exponentially increasing rate of legendary creatures that are appearing in 99s these days. And now we kind of want to talk about the effect that that can have on the ways that we build our decks. Dana, as you mentioned at the start, there's that new card from Kaldheim that you were considering for a while in your Sphinx Tribal deck, but you aren't necessarily actually going to play it because you've realized how many legendary creatures you're actually running in the deck. And that's something that if you're not paying close attention, that could have caught you off guard. You could have got that card, put it into your deck, played it, and only then realized once it was actually in your hand, oh wait, there's some anti-synergy happening here. That's kind of what we want to help players avoid. So Dana, what are some other examples of, of effects that might get in the way of you having a whole bunch of legends in your deck or have counter synergies in that realm? Yeah, the clone effects one is definitely a big deal. We just got Glass Pool Mimic uh, back in Zendikar Rising. Really, really good card because attached to a MDFC land. Um, so that sees a lot of play. That's one that, you know, the more uh, legendary creatures you have, the less useful that and most clone spells become. Um, things like Red Replication, which is a game-winning card in some situations, but it's much less game-winning to kick when you're kicking it onto legendary creature that's the, the, the five copies you're making are not going to survive. Um, things like Raikou of the uh, Two Reflections, a commander based around copying things. Um, you don't want to be running too many legends in that kind of deck, even if they're really good legends, because you can't copy them. Yeah, I, especially going back to the Glass Pool Mimic one that you mentioned. That is a clone, but it's only for your stuff. So like a clone, right. generally, I feel like I can justify in the general versions because it can be fun to copy someone else's legendary creature. That sounds fun. But if I'm restricted to my own stuff, like you mentioned with Riku or Glass Pool Mimic, like, ooh, I have to be very cognizant of the legends that are going on in my deck, don't I? Yeah, you really have to have to watch this kind of thing now that we're looking at, you know, even just talking about our own anecdotal evidence where we're running decks where a third of the creatures are legendary or in some cases more right (laughs) yeah and and not even legendary creatures too like i know a lot of people were very excited about mythos of aluna which was the uh teamer colored uh from akoria create a copy of target permanence but there's so many legendary non-creature permanents in the game now i mean you can't make a copy of your guy as cradle because it's just going to blow one up or your legendary enchantments or even planeswalkers uh, so the fact that like there are so many legendary permanents, not just creatures, a lot of these effects kind of start to dim down a little bit. Yeah, another one that jumps to me since we were on the subject of those clones, um, Matt. Believe it or not, I have occasionally, not often, but I have sometimes felt the desire to build a Naya deck instead of my traditional you necromancy. Should. You should. 
Well, so here's a problem that I run into. There's some cards I really want to play in such a Naya deck, such as Bramble Sovereign, which would let me copy my cool, awesome creatures that I'd be playing so that I can double smash face. That sounds great. I'd get copies of my creatures. All right, sign me up. But then I look at the deck list that I'm trying to brainstorm and put together and I'm like, oh, wait, wait a second. Making a copy of this Itali wouldn't do a whole lot because it's legendary. Making a copy of my Marisi would actually not work out. So it's like the good cards I want to play almost run counter to the other good cards I want to play, which is just like, ah, dang it. So maybe that's why I still haven't built a Naya deck. You can you can blame it on the Bramble software. Uh, well, I mean, even stuff like Flame Shadow Conjuring kind of falls into that category of you're, you're making copies of things that maybe you don't really want to, even if it's just a temporary copy, like you're just making a token for that turn. But it's still not really going to do a whole lot. Or Mirage Mirror is kind of limited Ooh. in its targets because you can't make it a copy of of any legendary creature you already control. You have to rely on your opponents um, to make sure that you know whatever their legendary creatures that you might be copying aren't something that's on your battlefield. Now let's be real. Mirage Mirror is still an amazing card. Mirage Mirror is still a very very fine card. Yes. Yeah, but there's a restriction on it. Yeah. Uh, one place this has cropped up for me a lot recently is Blade of Selves, which is a card I'm a huge fan of that makes temporary mm-hmm. copies and when you attack because it has the Myriad trigger. Um, that's gotten challenging to run in a couple of decks where I've wanted to run it th- for this exact reason because, you know, uh, half of my targets that I would like to ideally put that on are Legends. Yeah, it, it just turns into you have to really rely on if you do have a legend that you want to use some of these abilities on, it has to have a really, really good enters the battlefield ability. Otherwise, yep. it's not worth not worth running. And yet another place that this might rear its head a little bit, this effect might show up, is also with regards to tribal decks, Dana, as you mentioned with your Sphinx tribal deck. But then also there's going to be other tribes that might find themselves affected by this, too. I remember doing sort of a um, a pirate tune-up with Admiral Beckett Brass, and I found myself really surprised by how many legendary pirates there are in that deck now, because Mender Legends gave us a whole bunch of them, especially in the form of partners like Malcolm and Breaches, as an example, which totally are going to fit right into that pirate deck. That kind of means that cards like Molten Echoes, which has a similar effect to those other temporary copies that we mentioned, or cards like Kindred Charge, these are spells that make temporary copies of your creatures, especially of a certain creature type, so that you can get some big, huge swing on your opponents. But if you've got a whole bunch of legendary tribal members in your deck, well, maybe those spells actually aren't going to be all that great after all. As another example, speaking of Grixis, not pirates, but wizards instead, Inala, Archmage Ritualist, has a really strange task ahead of her. She is copying with her eminence ability a ton of wizards. With that ability, you can just, boom, get a temporary copy of a wizard. Awesome. But the average Inala deck contains 10 legends in it. You've got a whole bunch of stuff like Baron Master Wizard, for example, or the new Obeka Brute Chronologist is also a wizard that is really popular in Inala's deck. So that that effect, the thing you're going to build around is almost in a way countered by the very wizards, the awesome wizards that you want to play. So that requires you to do a you have to jump through a couple of extra hoops when building these decks with this tribal bend, basically. Well, and we're also staring down a set coming out in, you know, two months here, set at a wizard school that's probably going to contain quite a few legendary wizards <laughs> that will be followed up by a D&D themed set set in Forgotten Realms that also may contain quite a few legendary wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a world. 
I wonder if it will contain 30 of them, which seems to be the trend for most sets these days. All right, so we've talked a bit about how this can become sort of a hurdle for your deck to jump over, but is there a way that the increased number of legends appearing in decks can actually be something that we take advantage of a little bit more? Are there ways that we can almost kind of abuse the fact that our decks just happen to contain a lot more legends on average? I mean, well, depending on how many legends the people at your pot are playing, uh, Urza's Ruinous Blast either gets really easy to cast for you or just really doesn't do anything um, if they're playing a bunch of other ah. legendary permanents. Um, that's the the legendary sorcery that happens to be a wrath for all non-legendary uh, permanents. So yeah, like it's either very, very good or with the rising number of per- uh, legendary creatures that are in all these sets, that could be a very bad spell that only gets you know maybe two or three <laughs> creatures um, but any of these legendary sorceries that used to be kind of hard to cast, you now you don't have to rely on your commander coming out of the command zone. In order to cast these, you have several other legendary creatures within the deck that are going to turn on some of these spells. In the challenge to stats segment, Joey talked about um, Godel's favorite shopping center, Tenza's Mall. Um, <laughs> but like that was a card along with Champion's Helm, for example, and I, I guess mm. Black Blade Reforged would qualify here, mm-hmm. that have special characteristics when you attach them to a legend. And, you know, not that long ago, you would have been thinking, okay, this will go on my commander, and that's probably what the, the use would be. Nowadays, when, you know, a third of your deck might wind up being legends, there's a lot more utility in those cards because there's a lot more viable targets to attach them to oh my goodness i love those equipments you just named black braid reforged you can attach to your legendary creatures more cheaply and it's a really big buff that's really cool but then also champion's helm giving hexproof if the equipped creature is legendary that thing is so sticking good and i think it still has only seen like one maybe two printings wizards why wasn't that card in commander legends please we want it we want it we want the helm it's a really good helmet that's a great example dana I mean, another equipment, or not really an equipment, but an artifact that should have been reprinted with all these legends coming up. Sword of the Chosen. Where's that what reprint? What is Sword of the Chosen? Where's that good one? Sword of the Chosen is an old, old Stronghold artifact. I'm pulling a Dana here. It's an old <laughs> artifact from Stronghold, I believe it is, um, where you can tap it to give target legendary creature plus two, plus two until end of turn. That's, um... It's a combat trick on the board. <laughs> for legendary creatures. I feel like that's not quite on the caliber of some of the other cards we've been Oh, no, it is. You, you, the, the hipster factor, Dana, Dana will attest to. Definitely, um, for sure. Gives hipster it like plus 30 there. more points. I don't know. You read it off, and I thought it might have been a white mythic from Commander Legends or something. So anyway, <laughs> what are some like. of the other examples that come to mind? Um, you know, in one more piece of equipment where this is kind of relevant, well, is Helm of the Hosts that uh, is an equipment that goes on a a creature and makes a copy of that creature and that copy is not legendary. Um, you know, the more legendary creatures you have in your deck, the more opportunities there are to get the maximum value out of that piece of equipment. And it was already quite good, even if you were just using it for your commander. So having more targets for that makes an already powerful piece of equipment that much more powerful. You can just counterplay Dana and just go Leyline of Singularity once you start playing sure. all <laughs> yeah, your yes, Helm of the yeah. Hosts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's very, very corner case, but you're going to hose Dana. That, that's that, very true. Is that the enchantment that makes everything legendary? That's the ley line that makes all non-land permanents <laughs> legendary. That is 
It's a deep Quite cut, a and it's only it sees play in like <laughs> two hundred decks, and that's for a very, very good reason. That's two hundred too many bonus challenges. stats. I have a question for you guys when it comes to those, all those increased legendariness going on the in your decks. Do you think this might make the card Mox Amber a little bit more viable for some decks as well? Mox Amber being that zero mana legendary artifact that can tap to add one mana of any color among legendary creatures or planeswalkers that you control. There is definitely a price restriction on this card for sure, and it is already showing up in like 15,000 decks, so it's seeing plenty of play. But as the number of legendary creatures in decks goes up and up and up, is this a mana rock that you think becomes a bit more ubiquitous, or is it still a little bit too situational? Would you say? I think depending on the deck and how you can construct it it could be pretty reliable as a, a free mana rock um other than that though i, I don't think it's going to be widespread unless you're playing some sort of legendary tribal but like you can do that accidentally like we've said um so i think mm-hmm. you just need to make sure you're looking at your deck and, and being intentional if you're putting mox amber in if you're playing 20 legendary creatures you probably will be able to, to slot it in and, and reliably be able to to benefit from it yeah i would tend to agree i it's also one of those cards i think the, the zero cost artifacts, I think people sometimes shy away from them unless they're intentionally trying to build in a certain power level. So I think that maybe mm-hmm. even more than anything might hurt the adoption of Mox Amber, even if perhaps it is good enough in your deck because you have enough legends. I just think people sometimes look at it and think, ah, I'm not playing that style of deck where I want zero drop artifacts. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but one other card I'd like to mention here, because I think it's actually kind of a decent card, and that's Arena of the Ancients from way back in Legends. Um, but it had a Chronicles reprint. It's dirt cheap. It's under a dollar. It's a three-mana artifact. Legendary creatures don't untap during their controller's untap steps. And when it enters the battlefield, tap all legendary creatures. Um, I, I, people don't run this usually for legendary hate, and I don't think that's probably going to change. But there's a handful of commanders out there that don't untap for whatever reason, whether it's like Mariki Ribere where you're stealing stuff and she doesn't untap naturally or or Traxos where he doesn't untap naturally either. You have to do something to untap those commanders. This was already a pretty okay card that just kind of hosed everybody else and really didn't affect you. But as you see more and more commanders or more and more legends showing up in decks, this gets way better in those decks that want to run it because it doesn't hurt them anyway. Matt, are you at all surprised that Dana decided to bring up a card that neither of us have ever heard about from <laughs> a set that neither of us can remember? Speak for yourself, because I, I definitely knew what Arena of the Ancients did, um, but it is a very deep cut. So Dana Dana went old this time. I went for low numbers in my in my joke pick. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, a whole bunch of cards to consider, basically, that just kind of make sure you acknowledge that, yeah, the number of legends in your deck might have been steadily creeping upward, and that could affect the ways that you might want to build around that fact because it's kind of incidental but if it gets dense enough as we've been seeing with a huge upswing of legends that's definitely something that you can manipulate with a whole bunch of those cards we just mentioned but maybe it can be to your benefit or maybe it can be something you have to be more careful about considering so sometimes you build your deck around a theme or an idea and you get new toys for that deck pretty regularly um joey just built an elegeth sakashima deck he talked about before that cares about scrying and scry being an evergreen keyword, you're going to get new toys for that deck fairly regularly. Um, on the other hand, like an Animar or Kadena Morph deck, 
doesn't get toys as frequently because so many of your cards care about morph and mm. we get morph like once every half a decade or something. So you get a lot less new cards for, for that kind of deck compared to Joey's scry deck. Um, Kaldeheim and the sets with new cards in 2020, Matt mentioned the stuff that's standard legal, but just in 2020, we had 305 legends, 2020 in Kaldheim, compared to 76 cards with Scry. And even if you remove <laughs> Commander Legends and you remove Jumpstart that had a pretty high density of legends, it was still a three to one ratio. So the amount of new toys we're getting that are legendary um, for decks that care about that or intentionally or even accidentally, those numbers aren't going to level off, I don't think. Um, if, if we're sitting at decks right now that in the last couple of years have gotten to the point where one third of the creatures are legendary, I don't think it's entirely unreasonable to think that in two, three years, we're going to be closing in on 50% of our creatures being legends, even in those decks with like 20, 25 creatures. At the way we're going, I, I don't think they're going to stop printing legends anytime soon. So I'll, yeah, so all the things we talked about that are that are issues and have started to become issues in the last few years aren't going away. The, the stuff we talked about is going to be more and more important to bear in mind with every passing year and every passing set. Whew, I, that is insane. Yeah, like I, I love that on our episode that we had Olivia Gobert-Hicks on to discuss, you know, all the stuff the year of the commander, was it a success? One of the takeaways for us was like, yeah, you know, it'd be cool to see a set that isn't designed with commander in mind. What would that look like? And then call time comes around and it's like 30 plus legendary creatures. And it's like, well, we might not get that wish anytime soon this set definitely seems to be doing that as you mentioned so eloquently yeah we're just gonna yeah, keep it, on barreling i don't forward. think we're out of out of line to say like commander literally is about legendary creatures not just because they go in the command zone but just because you can play so many commanders and it, just in the 99 so yeah it's I, I know it sounds like we're being hyperbolic, but the numbers are actually there to say like <laughs> yeah. the, the number of legendary creatures, like they're going up exponentially. Like I can't, I can't remember the last set that we had maybe 10. Like you have to go back to like almost Theros back when mm -hmm. it was, you got one for every color and maybe a couple multicolor. But that yeah, I, it's and, been a and while. You know what? I just can't wait to see where we look back at the data after 2021 is finished and we see, oh, all right. So we saw that there were 12 cards on average for Reki History of Kamigawa that came from 2020. And now how many came from 2021? 56? Yeah, right. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, just a whole lot to be aware of with regards to the legendary stuff. It's not just for the command zones. It's also for your 99s. And it's a whole lot to glean from that. But for now, fellas, I think what we ought to do is call this episode to a close. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And if our listeners want to get in touch with us to ask more about legendary stuff, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And you can also find us Wednesday evenings streaming at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. We have guests on every single week and the games are always a blast to play. And I'm sure they're fun to watch too. So make sure you tune in Wednesday <laughs> evenings. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach celebrating my birthday today possibly still blowing out candles <laughs> you can find me once a week on my other podcast cmdr central and you can find all of us 
at patreon.com slash edhreccast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at edhreccast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you have a question for us or some keen insight to the data on edhrec, you can contact us at edhreccast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Josh Lequai and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast. And our thanks go to our sponsors, that's TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on edhrec or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash to show your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.